0: Welcome back to Atypical Talk. This is a podcast where we have conversations that illuminate the intersection of faith, culture, and the common spaces of our humanity. I'm Abby. I'm Allison. And I'm Joel. And our first article today is from uh, Wired by Jason Parham. It says, is streaming too big for its own good? There's something new to stream every day. There's new TV shows, documentaries, and movies popping up on Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Peacock, Amazon, Apple, Disney Plus all those different ones, and more all the time. It's hard to keep up with what's trending and what your friends are talking about on Twitter. Along with that, subscription prices add up to more than what you would pay for cable television. Many people complain that streaming has caused a ripple effect of low-effort, money-grab content made only to get people's attention, enough to get a new subscriber or keep an old one around there's obviously lots of good original content too but for every blockbuster they release there are a dozen shows and movies that simply aren't that great do you guys think that streaming has made tv and movies worse or what are your guys' thoughts on this
1: i think the biggest danger of the streaming game is like the netflix cheating that could happen in our relationships <laughs> like, only because I
2: mean- you're guilty
1: I am a recovering (laughs) Netflix cheater. It's where I was watching a show with my wife once and, you know, I went ahead and I watched what happened next and I thought I was playing it all cool when we got back together. And I said, oh, wait till you see this part. And Megan pauses the show (laughs) and I was caught. And you're dead. I was caught red-handed. No, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. so much content to sift through, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so far behind on all the most popular things right now. I only have enough, brain space left at the end of the day after putting our two boys down to bed where I'm like, oh, maybe watch the new Obi-Wan episode. <laughs> like that's about all that I've got going on. There's so yeah. much.
2: It, they, there's a ton. But for me, you know, one of the things that talked about like the subscription prices is adding up to more need to pay for cable, but like we're not home to watch live TV and that's part of the cable, you know, situation for us is like mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense yeah you can dvr or ha- whatever they have now i don't even know since we don't have cable anymore <laughs> but you know it yeah it all adds up you're right but also if we're not there watching live TV, like what's what's the point mm-hmm. I, and i like my netflix and all my streaming services so. i like
1: having control and i can literally <laughs> pause and yes. I can actually mm-hmm. go to the next episode right I mean, now i'm so dual-minded about streaming you know because i mean it is amazing the quality of content mm-hmm. that we have at our fingertips and and i love that i can like binge i can just keep going yep. I mean, there was a time young people listening <laughs> you know general Zers and younger there was a time when you had to like wait six yeah. days and 23 hours for that terrible. next show <laughs> right and then there was a season break where you had to wait sometimes eight months. Yeah. I mean, it was this terrible thing, Mm-mm. right? So no, thanks. I love that I have like the ability just to keep going and go deep into the stories, yep. but I think it's not healthy that I love it, right? That <laughs> it binge thing inside of me that I want to is probably not like my highest ideal as a person. And, and the longer that I, you know, walk through life and the longer that I follow Jesus and I'm trying to live like a spiritually healthy life, I mean, I think learning to say enough and learning to have delayed gratification—it's not a vice. It's actually a virtue. It's something mm-hmm. that grows a healthy muscle inside of us to be able to say that's enough for now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not leaning into my greatest um, attributes and impulses to just keep going and go for more and more and more. Uh, Paul, writing in the New Testament, um, to a church in Rome. Uh, he, he said this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance to the Spirit of God have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And what's interesting is the original word used for flesh there is not what you think of as just your skin. but The original word used for uh, flesh is a Greek word. Um, it's called sarx. I love the sound of sarks. And sarks, your flesh, it, it actually means like your animalistic appetite. It's you not knowing when to stop and just keep going and having no impulse control. And Paul is saying that if you let your sarks drive your life, no impulse control, just keep going, keep going, and never say no to yourself, never say enough is enough, uh, you're going to end up in a place that's not where you want to be. And I think that the reality of streaming and everything being on demand all the time Mm -hmm. is something ultimately that might not be good for us. And it's something that I want to watch more closely in my life as I follow Jesus and I try to live a healthy, balanced
2: life. But do you think that, like, because our phones are that way too, like texting, yeah, yeah. social media, yeah, exactly the same. So it's not, for me, it's not just streaming. Like this has been a, you know, the on-demand type thing has been a thing since I had a smartphone and, (laughs) you know, social media. So. You know, it could be said for a lot of different things in our life now. So it's crazy. But, I mean, I I still get mad at Netflix when it asks me if I'm still watching. Cause
1: Stop judging me. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> Clearly I am. Thanks for asking. Now, where
0: do you go in <laughs> the settings to turn that right? off? Turn <laughs> yeah.
1: off the shame button. <laughs> yeah. I need less. Thank you. That. What do you think, Abby? Like, what do you think about streaming and just the realities of it?
0: Yeah, I think, well, speaking about where uh, the author says that it his – created the um need for streaming services to just create poor content Mm. i see that all the time and as someone who is a media major in college (laughs) it makes me sad because there's just they're just throwing this content at you hoping something will stick and something will make you sit there and watch through it and there's just all of this subpar content out there and it's just there for us to sit and watch and snack on our popcorn and <laughs> find something to keep us entertained and get yeah. away from our Duh. thoughts. It's, <laughs> it's,
1: just so it's really dark. It's really dark. There's oh, just man. so many
0: <laughs>
2: options, <laughs> though. Like, yeah. you know, I even go, I think a couple episodes ago, we talked about what we were streaming, and, you know, I'm watching, like, old shows that had been on primetime, you know, years ago. And so, you know, yeah, I think mm-hmm. a lot of these original content things can just be – you know, very surface level or whatever. Sometimes yeah. I need that just to zone out. But that's yeah. just me.
0: Yeah, I sometimes feed into that stuff because I need something that I don't have to fully focus on to yep. know what's going on.
1: And I think that the trick is to like let that be a treat instead right. of the whole <laughs> all the time. The yep. whole yeah. way that you you know consume, right? Yeah. You know, I think and knowing that you know um, can be the trick. But yep. making that the treat and not the whole. The way that you eat, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: and I find myself right now having such a hard time keeping up on everything. I haven't watched the new Stranger Things, I'm oh, having okay trouble either. keeping up on Obi Wan, all the Disney plus shows Yeah, it is getting to be I don't too watch much. anything that is popular at the time.
2: This is probably one of my you know <laughs> tragic things about me or whatever. <laughs> one of my flaws, know, I'm,
1: I'm envious of you because I'm just like it's going to get spoiled for me. I'm going to see something. And then I'm like, now I miss the whole thing. Right? <laughs> yep. yep no. No, I'm not on the insider track. I don't like that.
2: Nope. Yep. If it's about two years old, then I'm like, okay, it's probably about time for me to watch it now <laughs> <laughs> yep. after it's cool.
0: Our next article today is a very fun article. It's from relevant magazine, bizarre Christian culture wars that time forgot. Christians have fought culture wars for years over things that seem meaningless. When we look back at them, one of the oldest culture wars in church history took place in 1633 when the Catholic Church condemned Galileo for daring to teach that it was the sun, not the earth, that was at the universe's center.
1: How dare he? I <laughs> know, <poor> shame.
0: <laughs> they believed that since God made humans unique, that he would put us at the center of the universe. In the 1300s, the church banned playing cards because they were associated with gambling. When the Beatles grew to fame, Christians thought they were getting more popular than Christianity itself and hated that about them. And then a more recent one, many Christians hated Pokemon simply because the creatures evolve in the game. <laughs> keep, keep going, no, going. after <laughs> you A lot of these culture wars, which can seem like a decisive moment for the fate of the nation at the time, end up looking pretty stupid, if not downright forgettable in the rearview mirror. So what are some Christian culture wars that you guys have experienced in your lifetime? Oh man
2: the one that immediately I kind of thought of uh, when we started talking about this was the um, Starbucks holiday themed cups. Yes. And like how that was just such (laughs) a big deal when it didn't say Merry Christmas and it says Happy Holidays and all of these things. That's become like this, you know, the start of the holiday season is you know this new starbucks cup coming out but no it's the christmas season and so it was just one of these things where like society was just flared up about this
0: Stupid <laughs>
2: cup it was not a big deal, but um, you know for a lot of people It really was and I just wanted to be like it's a cup. It's not like a war on Christmas or your. are well, that's faith. exactly It yeah, was. Praying. it really <laughs> was so for me That was kind of the first one that popped up into my mind when we were talking about
1: this to me The logic just falls apart so quickly with the Christmas happy holidays thing yeah. and I understand where you're coming from if you want people to say Merry Christmas to you because you probably celebrate Christmas, mm-hmm. but you also celebrate Christmas because there was people that started a nation where there was religious liberty to come worship the way that you want to <laughs> yeah. worship, and everybody doesn't celebrate Christmas nope. like, and that's not ever been the case, nor will it ever be the case mm-hmm. on this side of eternity. So to just you the logic falls apart yeah. because like you know you want religious liberty to worship the way that you want, but you don't want it for other people. Yeah. And, You know, like, let's just not be so thin skinned, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe Christianity is not going to be the majority defining power tripped culture. And maybe it's not supposed to be, you know, maybe it's more of this mustard seed thing that Jesus was talking about. And maybe Mm -hmm. you should just get used to not being. The one in charge all the time anyway <laughs> i can talk about christmas and all that's so a that'll be a whole episode a holiday edition yes there you we'll go. call it a holiday oh. edition to really drive in the so, so nobody will listen is oh, that probably. why that's oh, okay. probably why uh, for me i got a couple of funny ones i guess because uh, i remember growing up and my parents um they weren't like uber strict about what we could and could not watch on tv because we were watching tv you know during normal hours uh but They would not let me and my brother watch The Simpsons.
2: Yeah, I remember that. The Simpsons were out.
1: Mm -hmm. And the reason is the funniest part for me. (laughs) My parents are like, well, Bart is disrespectful to his parents. Yeah, their kids are rude. Yep. And we (laughs) don't want you watching that. I'm like, oh, wow, you're going to wow, you don't know any of the way that anybody talks yeah. and then like of all the things, right? And all that you're craziness like, I ride the school bus, yeah. like the
2: kids are the same there. Of all the
1: craziness of TV, they're like, no, this is not good Christian morals. I'm like, well, okay, I, yeah. I, I get you there. But I, I remember sitting in church growing up and hearing a pastor rail on Harry Potter, you know, oh. that was, it was, you know, rising, it was really popular and took the whole witchcraft approach and. Said, why are we entertaining ourselves with this? And maybe if you're listening and you don't do the Harry Potter thing, but it was just very heavy-handed um, towards other people, and I just found it hilarious as I as I watched the movies and read the books. And no spoiler alert, but like it ends, Harry Potter ends up being one of the most beautiful, vivid. Christian metaphors and gospel allegories ever with what happens in Harry Potter. So I think that was J.K. Rowling probably trolling all the Christians for some of these people for us to watch and read. It. She makes it like this gospel presentation at the end of yeah, this, as yeah. the books. I thought it was awesome.
2: Yeah. But well, growing up in high school, I went to um, a really traditional, you know, kind of church, and there was, uh, you know, you couldn't go to the movies or you weren't supposed to go to the movies, and uh, you know, no dancing, you know. Very footloose kind of esque, if you worked. think that worked in the movie. Yes, Miracles. Yeah, it, yeah, it it was very um, powerful. But uh, so I mean, I get the original sentiment. Like you know, you don't want to stumble in your faith, and sometimes these things can you know cause. You to think of things differently but like that can happen in your home and that can happen at your school or where you work so like for me like you said earlier kind of the the logic ends up falling apart because like if i'm gonna say i'm living a uh, life following jesus then i'm gonna do that with or without watching a movie or listening to a song or whatever it might be that mm-hmm. uh, you know somebody says i shouldn't do
0: yeah i don't yeah. Uh, for me, Harry Potter was a big one. Like, you couldn't watch Harry Potter because mm-hmm. there was magic, there was wizards. But... Uh- Lord of the Rings was okay, so that's a little confusing. Tolkien was a Christian. The author was a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: those wizards were disciples. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that was confusing to me. And then also, similar to uh, Simpsons, we weren't allowed to watch SpongeBob because there was an episode where SpongeBob was like rude to his grandma or something like that. My mom was like, yep, we're done, and turned it off.
1: Canceled. 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 (laughs) Oh, it was pre-cancel culture. Oh gosh. I, I think this, this whole thing, and I think the article is so cool, I hope you read it from the show notes, um, but it, it just shows that, you know, culture wars have been around as long as there's been people and as long as there's been Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, like, it's just reframing this idea of waging war on culture to something deeper. Um, I mean, instead of waging war on culture, maybe, just maybe Christians are called to engage culture and show a better way. And critique it not just through like negativity or shunning, but like showing there's a better way to do this, and and that might be a more popular way um, to move things forward, a more palpable way to move things forward. Um, I mean, you think of it this way: we only have so much breath, we only have so much life, we only have so much time that we can shine a light on anything. And I'm always I'm saddened by faith leaders that spend so much of their light pointing it on these things that they disagree with instead of pointing it on Jesus Mm -hmm. and pointing it on what we are sure of and the hope that can be found in Jesus. Uh, in engaging the culture around us. And we see examples of this throughout the scriptures. Um, Jesus, actually, he, he quotes um, what would be like equivalent to a farmer's almanac. He quotes a proverb that was just a, uh, a Jewish saying that's not even in our book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Paul, in the New Testament, um, as he's planning churches and starting this local church movement, Paul, actually, he quotes a Greek poet in Acts 17. So they were always engaging culture and asking questions and trying to connect with people using culture and not ever shaming culture in that way. And I think that's a great pattern for us to follow. Now, hear me. I think we should use discernment like um, we should, ma- there are things that I should not watch or engage and in, in listen to because it's not healthy for me. You should use discernment, and make guardrails for you and your family. And we're going to find different lines on the, that continuum on where those things will be. And we shouldn't judge other people because of it, but make guardrails for your family. Use discernment about what's healthy for you. But overall, let's stop playing defense and thinking like, oh, culture is going to stamp out, the church and culture is going to stamp out Jesus. Like, no, Jesus said that his church would stand and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Like, let's take that to the bank. Mm -hmm. The church survived the Roman empire and Christians being burned at the stake by Nero, the emperor. Like, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. <you> know. <laughs> Harry and, Potter. And yeah. I think, like, I just want to be part of a movement that's engaging culture. Yes, I'm going to critique it. I'm going to speak truth to it. But I don't want to just stop with the critique. I want to model and be a part of a group of people that are showing a better way. Saying, mm-hmm. like, let's point the light at the better way instead of saying, ooh, that's bad. That's gross. Mm-hmm. And I think we'd find ourselves um, farther down the field that way.
0: Yeah. Well, that's all we have for that topic. We're going to take a quick break and come back with um, Ask a Pastor. We'll have Eric McCoy here answering some of your questions along with Joel, and it'll be a great time.
1: It'll be dangerous. That's dun, the only dun, thing dun. I'm sure Yep.
0: <laughs> hey, welcome back to this side of the podcast. Now we are doing a segment called "Ask a Pastor." We have two pastors with us today. Joel is here, and then also our guest Eric McCoy.
1: Yeah, Eric uh, and I are old friends. Um, we go way back, man. Yeah, way back when we were just kids, and we knew everything back then, right? a lot more than I know now, that's that's for sure. (laughs) But Eric and I, we've uh, worked at a church together, served together in a local church. We've been in a very amateur worship band, (laughs) traveling
3: around the the dual state area. Did we ever play three states? It's possible. I think (laughs) I made more money playing with you, like playing music on an instrument I actually didn't typically play. I know, right? You gave me my big break. (laughs) I love it. Yeah.
1: And uh, Eric actually is a, is a church planter and a leader of a local church that we partner with at Bridgeway called Story Church uh, up in Peru, Indiana. So we get to do a lot of fun stuff together. But he's also, one of the things I love about Eric, he is a deep thinker. And uh, we always have had great conversations about the big things that are always engaging and kind of crazy. And I thought, what would be the safer thing to do than put us on a microphone and have these conversations for all of you? So Eric, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, your family, just what do you want us to know?
3: Hey, yeah, you said it all. Just make sure you set the bar low. Uh, (laughs) We're not going to get too deep. But no, um, I have a wife, Ashley, and a daughter named Eden, who's just about four years old. Um, We live in Peru, just moved this last fall. And are renovating a really old house that's just a mess. We live in chaos right now, but, um, we kind of love it. So it's been fun. Uh, like you said, I get to be the lead pastor at Story Church, which, uh, is a community with kind of a winding story over the past few years. But, um, we relaunched our church, uh, last August officially, and it's been a really fun year just gathering people and helping our mission is to connect their story to God's story. and. We've seen God do some cool stuff along the way. You're coming up on a year. Coming up on it, yeah. That's That's so exciting.
1: That is exciting. So, yeah, thanks for being here with us,
3: and thanks for being on the hot seat.
1: I'll make sure that you get all the crazy questions, and I'll get the softballs. That's what we do here. (laughs) It's perfect.
0: (laughs) Sure thing. Okay, we'll jump into the first question. If God knows everything that's going to happen, why should we even pray?
1: Oh, that's just again, a softball, right? Yeah, right. Just jump right into it. Why should we pray? I mean, this is one of those interesting things, right? You know, as you're younger, if you grew up in any kind of faith background, um, you know, it was sort of like the say your prayers thing. Your parents would tell you to say your prayers, and you get older, and you grow up with this idea of talking to God or uh, praying, and you're like, okay, then sometimes you pray for things, and it doesn't happen, and then you feel maybe disillusioned or frustrated. I know that I've been there. Um, So I know as I've grown up and as I've had a faith that's been, you know, growing and changing and trying to make sense of the complicated world around me, I've had to sort of grow up my theology of prayer, and I've had to think about it differently. It's not like a a slot machine. You pray this prayer, say these certain words, and then God is going to give you the thing. Uh, Maybe there's much more going on to it. But yeah, it's a complicated question for sure.
3: Yeah, when I think about the question. I, there's almost like two, at least two levels that I uh, think exist inside this question. There's like the theological, how does God work? Um, what does God know? What does he not know? How Does he control everything or how does he control everything? And then I really hear just the pastoral heart behind this question too, of what you were saying. Like, I prayed for something and it didn't happen and, and that's difficult and how do you navigate that and, and what does that do to your faith? So. I don't know, uh, in answering the question, it's like you can go into the lair about the nature of God and, and how does God interact with the future, and you can get into some really deep theological waters that have been uh, wrestled over for years. I mean, in terms of some, I, I, and I think I, it's important to acknowledge too, like faithful Christians have disagree. differing, yeah, differing opinions, yeah, they yeah. disagree, and that doesn't make one right or wrong. We're all kind of wrestling through trying to understand God uh, in our context, in our cultural moment. So there are some people historically who have said that God like predetermines everything and he has this plan and we all just kind of live it out. Um, There's others that think that there's a lot more room for our role in the story and our free will and our decision-making. There are even some Christians who would take a posture. It's called open theism that's basically like God knows, all of present reality but a piece of that reality is possibility and, and so like it could go different ways and we don't have to like pick our tribe today, yeah I don't yeah. think but th- the nature of how God interacts with the future is such a complicated thing for us to try and wrap our heads around and uh, we could do a whole, whole conversation about a whole, that whole conversation for sure uh, but I think it's interesting
1: too like you said that faithful Christians faithful people that love Jesus and trust the scriptures they come to different conclusions about this and I think um, I mean, just for me, like I'm not in the camp where I think that God has predetermined every single thing and every interaction that's going to happen. I there are people that think that way, and I love them, and I'll I'll be with them for all of eternity. Um, but for me, I like I I'm really drawn to this picture that like God knows how it's going to end, but the path to get there, there's possibilities towards, and God wants to partner with us, and He wants us to bring you know, the realities of heaven to earth, and there would be less suffering. But we've got to play a role in that, and there's free will involved with the whole conversation. So it gets messy, um, but I I think it's this beautiful picture of partnership. But because of that, it's almost like this dance with God with how prayer works and how it
3: impacts the reality that we have in front of us. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes we have that image of God and his plan and what's determined and what's not that's almost like God has built the maze and we're just the mice running through it, Mm. but like the path is already charted out. Um, I don't personally think that's how God really works. Um, I think it's more like an author writing a great story where you're kind of uncovering it as it goes, right? Mm. Or or the creative act. um, So, I mean, I totally agree with you. Scripture speaks pretty clearly that God does have a plan for this world, that um, God's actively working, that he is in control, but the way that his relationship and our relationship plays out, uh, I don't think it's as black and white as we often try and make it. And uh, I guess that kind of leads into the nature of the question, like, so why do we pray? And the maybe, like, bottom shelf, most simple answer that we all maybe felt as kids is, like, to pray to get what we want or try and try and pray to move God to do something. And I do think that that's a piece of it. Like, we can relate to God in that way and, and we can move God. Uh, but I think way deeper than that is what prayer does for us yeah, and, and in and us. In us. Yeah. Um, I mean, prayer isn't meant to be this transactional thing where we like get the magic words right and we get God to move in our direction. Um, but I think it's really more about us relating to God on our personal level, us, uh, framing our own worldview, um, as I was thinking about this idea of prayer, I mean, Jesus talked about how we should pray. And I think it's really remarkable and really important to remember that when Jesus rolled out the Lord's prayer, it starts with your kingdom come, your will be done. So like Mm -hmm. it starts with God and his agenda. And in that way, prayer can almost be a reframing of our minds Mm -hmm. around God's priorities. Uh, And then it moves on and it moves into this communal kind of space where we pray for, for others' needs and for all of us to forgive one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think for many of us in our culture, we're tempted to pray individual prayers. They're like, God, give me what I want or come help me. And and again, I think there's space for that. I don't think that that's wrong to pray in that way, but prayer can be so much more about changing our focus, reminding us of what is true, relating and connecting with God, and even expressing our emotions along the way, none of which is tied to the actual outcome of the prayer.
1: Yes. So much beyond just what we think of naturally as the give me, give me prayers. It's so much more. I mean, you mentioned something about how prayer changes us. I came across this quote. I couldn't find it who said it. I just know it was not me. Um, But uh, it goes like this. Sometimes prayer changes things. And, yes, like – God is moved. Prayer can change things, but prayer always changes us. It always does a transforming work on us. There's always this realignment to the ultimate reality of who God is, this realignment to what really matters in a cosmic level, Um, right sizes us. It reminds us that we're not the biggest deal on planet Earth, but we are cherished um, children of God, but we're, we're not the center of the story. And I think it changes us in that way. A couple of other things I was thinking about, about the power of prayer, I mean prayer in its like base level is about communication and it's about relationship. It's fascinating to me and it's, it's actually pretty moving to me to think that, you know, there is this, this God who invites me to relationship with him and we, even when we think about our human relationships. You know, like when you're starting that like dating relationship, what's one of the the core things that are part of that? It's talking. It's communication. So often we make prayer uh, where it has to be this like beautiful, poetic thing. And we do see examples of that in the scriptures. But we also uh, see so many examples of, you know, the bare bones of prayer being just talking to, emoting, like screaming out to God and just being real about what's going on as well. And I think it's beautiful that, you know, the God that is the center of the Christian story is one who wants you to talk to him and uh, wants relationship with you. And so prayer is just a means to that. Um, So I think that's a powerful thought. Another reality of how prayer changes me, at least, is, you know, when I share my burdens with God, when I get real with God about what's weighing me down, what's stressing me out, what's like hitting my mental health, um... You know, when I share that burden with them, it lightens my load. It almost halves it because it again it, get, it gets me in touch with the ultimate reality that I can't carry this on my own. I'm not doing a good job of trying and that there is a God who wants to half that burden and remind me that um, it's not an indictment on my strength that I can't carry. It's just a reality check. And so it aligns me with what's ultimately true. Um, And it sometimes keeps those emotions in check. As I bring my real, raw emotions to God, uh, He doesn't shun those, but oftentimes He shows me that they're not maybe ultimately true. They're they're a check engine light going off to show me what's going on underneath in me. And so it helps me also get my emotions in check while I am real with bringing them to God.
3: As you were saying that, uh, it made me think again of what Jesus says when He's teaching His disciples how to pray. He makes this statement, uh, don't pray like the pagans do. Oh, yeah. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word pagan, I think, well, that's bad. But when Jesus was saying (laughs) that, it wasn't the way we hear pagan now. This is an actual group of people uh, who interacted with their gods, the Greek and Roman gods, in a specific way. And they were always trying to appease those gods, trying to get their gods' attention, trying to get them to move. And I think to what you were just saying, that's not the kind of god that we serve. That's not the god we find in Jesus. We find... A God who's ready to approach us, who's eager to hear us, and who we don't have to get the right words or say the right combination or, or woo him to care about mm, us. So good. He already cares. He already knows but wants to know from us about our experience of life. So it's a powerful thing to be able to approach God in that way and know that he hears us, knows that they, know that he cares, and know that he's moved by the things that move us.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love the heart behind this question so much, and so if you're listening and Prayer for you is something you struggle with, something you can't wrap your mind around. I Man, I just encourage you to like lean in to the reality that there is a God who hears you and longs to be in a relationship with you and that you can be real with. You don't have to say anything poetic or, you know, bring bring how you're feeling, you know, to the table and see how God will change you in the midst. And ultimately I think He changes the world through it because of the way it changes us as we pray. Great question though.
0: Here is a, another very easy question. Not going to make anyone mad by your guys' answer, but do you think Jesus is a Democrat or a Republican?
3: Oh, this is so easy. The answer is clearly, <laughs> and Joel gets canceled. No, that's how that happens. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the easy part is he was a first-century Jewish man, so he, yeah, neither. A, neither. Right? Right? let like, like, we just be really clear, right? Like, he's not playing by
1: these kind of binary yeah, ways of thinking, for sure.
3: Yeah, But no, I mean, it's... I think the heart probably behind that question is, like, what does Jesus value uh, if he were in our shoes today? Yeah. If we're living out the great question of the 90s, what would Jesus do? Uh, Got the, in the bracelet. Got the bracelet, yeah. In the political arena, like, how would Jesus vote? Uh, it's a hard question. And, uh, again, I know we're laughing about it a little bit, but I do uh, – I connect with the heart behind this because it's somebody saying, like, hey, I want to take – life in the political realm seriously and and bring my faith into that and i think that's a really S- something to be honored like that reality yeah. is i think
1: something to be honored and admired right
3: yeah it's just finding the
1: the clarity in a black or white or left and right uh-huh. reality is just you're not going to find it
3: right <laughs> yeah. yeah and so i mean i guess in answering the question uh, in a hopefully somewhat helpful way is from my reading of scripture and of jesus life almost any time. Uh, maybe every time someone tried to put Jesus in a box and, and define who was in and who was out or who was right or who is wrong based on labels of the day, he somehow transcended it. And I think that's what Jesus does and, and would do in our American politics and our political system as well. Uh, so my like quick to the point answer is he's neither. He transcends that. And um, I think that's really, again, a helpful perspective. I mean, the thing... One of the central tensions as Jesus did his ministry on the earth and tried to establish what he called the kingdom of God, he was very clearly saying, hey, this is a kingdom that's not of this world. And so there's this political element to what Jesus was doing in his ministry, what he was starting and continues today through the church in some ways, uh, that essentially said if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. And so, in our current cultural context, Caesar's not here anymore, but Jesus is still Lord. And so, I think for a, a Jesus follower trying to navigate political life in America right now, I think it's important for us, even as a pastor, to say it's hard. Yes. It's it is. not black and white, it's not clear. Uh, but, like, it's the same call on our lives to say, okay, what are the values of the kingdom of God? Uh, What does it mean to put Jesus first, not my preferred political party or candidate? uh, And how do I bring the values of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to play in the way we organize our lives, whether that's in local government or at a national level, or in just the everyday ways that we choose to love our neighbors as ourselves?
1: Oh man, that's so good. So many things I want to echo inside of that. but I think one of the thoughts that I'm, I really connect with is we, we just need to define terms a little bit better. Um, because, I mean, there is language that can be around some faith communities where, like, well, you know, stay away from anything political. You know, politics and Jesus don't mix. But you're right. Like, there is an inherently political message to what Jesus came to do. Not a partisan message, but a political message. Because politics, you know, if you go to the definition, it's how we order and arrange power and access to power and jesus message from you know day one the gospel of mark was that the kingdom of god is at hand come and believe this good news like and this good news is happening through me i'm this king that you need Um, i think it was pastor tony evans who I remember he said years ago now, but he said that Jesus didn't come to take sides, but he came to take over. And I think that is just a really powerful picture for us to keep in mind, that if you're a follower of Jesus, um, your allegiance is ultimately to him and his kingdom and not to the left or the right, Republican, Democrat, anything in between. Now that being, that being said, um, I do think there's a, a real danger in tying one partisan side to faith, um, saying that you must be a Democrat if you are a Christian and you must be a Republican if you're a Christian and vice versa. Um, I think that is just us as people of faith asking to be co-opted and uh, just messed with by uh, people that are trying to gain political power. And so, um, I mean, yes, the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus was inherently political because it was about who was in charge, but it, we need to stay away from the partisan politics and saying for other people that you must be this way or you do not qualify for what Jesus is doing in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have political thoughts and partisan thoughts. I mean, Eric and I, we're, we are both people that vote and we have talked about our personal politics and where we align and where we're different. And that's all good and beautiful. Um, but I think the danger is when somebody um, with our kind of platform inside of local churches or um, are really trying to judge and put down and try to get people to align with a certain partisan view. He spoke about the values of the kingdom. And I think we need to be, like, zero and focused on the values of what Jesus and his rule and reign looks like and what his kingdom looks like, and we work to build that or to build for that on earth. Um, But we've also got to have the humility to recognize that there are faithful followers of Jesus that are going to disagree about how to get there. And I think that's where a lot of our political disagreements come. It's not in that we don't believe that, you know, We should take care of people or we shouldn't believe that there is like a right and a wrong. But it's just in how we see that come to fruition where I think there's a lot of political fights. And, man, let's just be careful not to be co-opted by one side of the argument. And especially let's not be careful to be judgmental and push our beliefs on other people when it comes to you should vote this way. You should not vote this way. I don't think that's helpful. And uh, Eric also alluded to, he took all my talking points. This is <laughs> a beautiful political conversation, my talking points. Um, but Jesus did, he transcended every moment that they were trying to push him into a corner. Uh, Jesus had this you know, masterful way of Uh, living out what I like to call the third way. When you think it's a binary decision between left or right, black and white, everything's clear as possible, right and wrong, Jesus often just found this beautiful way um, to invite us to think of it differently, to rise above the conversation to this third way. And I think the, the challenge for Jesus followers in this highly partisan culture Um, is for us to, like, man, can we rise above the vitriol and the division and be unified around the kingdom of God and this third way of thinking about how we live out our public life?
3: Yeah, I think you used a word or a concept that's really important for a Jesus follower trying to faithfully live out those values of the kingdom, and that that word is humility. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's important for us to be mindful of is that practicing humility doesn't typically build big platforms and it doesn't typically earn you a lot of votes. And so sometimes we can get pulled in uh, to the fray of the 24 hour news cycle and, you know, people trying to build their political platform. We get pulled into this demonizing of other people who differ from us. And I love what you said that if we're willing to have the humility to explore how other people think and understand why they're drawing the conclusions that they are, we can actually find more often than not, in my experience, we have more in common than we think, Right? we wanna solve the problems that are really facing us. Uh, we just may differ on how we get there, and that's where the actual productive stuff comes in when we work through those issues. And I think, uh, man, one of the primary calls on a Jesus follower's life that's spelled out in scripture, Paul writes about it often, is that we're supposed to be reconcilers. And there's no greater opportunity maybe right now than reconciliation between these deeply divi- divided political parties. Uh, that I mean, I can get really fired up about the compelling vision if the church in the midst of this crazy world we're living in, if Jesus followers became the people who were not building our platforms, but we started building bridges to one another and we started creating the space where we could not feel the need to box each other in to Republican or Democrat or right or left or whatever it is. But we can actually have productive conversation for the sake of our neighbors and for the sake of the world that we live in. I think that looks a lot like Jesus to transcend the fight and instead create the space uh, for us to really solve some of the challenges facing our world together.
1: No, I don't want to solve the challenges. i just rather <laughs> sling mud I at the other be side. Ready. No, <laughs> if I can no be man. Ready. That is beautiful. What a compelling vision. What an invitation for Jesus' followers to transcend the political vitriol that we're a part of.
0: So what advice would you guys give to a Christian who comes to you and says that they're beginning to doubt their
1: faith? I think the first thing that I would say, because this is a question, honestly, that I, I get a lot in my work um, as, a, as a spiritual leader in a local church. The first thing I try to always say is, man, I am so proud of you for having the guts to tell somebody like me. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's such a beautiful thing and an authentic move for somebody to walk towards somebody. And I'm using air quotes of a spiritual, you know, I know everything, right? You know, people <laughs> think that you have it You've all You've got, yeah, got the direct
3: line. Yeah, I've got
1: the direct line to God. That's how this works. i got the red phone and everything. Um, but I think it takes a lot of guts to do that. And so I always try to honor people. So if that's you, if you find yourself in a season of doubt where you feel like you're slowly walking away from faith or feel like you're checking out, um, man, just speak it out loud. I think that's a powerful thing, and I'm, I'm always blown away by people that do that. We have a phrase that we say almost every time that we gather on Sundays um, about doubts and questions. We say that uh, at Bridgeway, we believe that doubts and questions are not the enemy of your faith, but silence might be. If you were trying to walk through it on your own and not if you're in a season of deconstruction or you're just wanting to tear the whole thing down and you're on your own, um, that might be the most destructive thing to you. Um, don't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We need to ask questions and do this in community with trusted people. So I, I think I always try to start there and then I like to just lay it out there and be like, hey, I, me too. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I Like, there are things that I am still figuring out. There are tensions that are not Uh, resolved in the way that I understand God and the world around me. And um, I sometimes, when they ask me the question underneath the question, I'll say, yeah, I don't know. And sometimes people are weirded out by that because they're like, wait, you got the schooling thing, and wait, you've got the microphone. (laughs) It's like, no, like there are things that I believe that I don't know is a perfectly valid theological answer, and I'm not going to hold you to something that maybe I think today and I'm, I'm a little bit hazy on. The next day, um, doubts are, they should be normalized. Us asking questions should be normalized. Um, because in my experience, like I've had two and a half faith crises, I think, the way I count it. You That's know, it. I know, only two and a half. But like to where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I believe this anymore. And um, but it was in the moment where it felt like I was free falling, whether that be around the validity of the scriptures, whether that be around something about the person of Jesus. When I was in the free fall, and I had people that I could like be real with and share these questions with, and I was on the journey to try to discover what it meant, um, and that was where the beauty happened. And I'm only in the game still today because I had people that accepted me for who I was, and they asked me great questions, and they were open about how they had been on the journey as well. And so I, I, I'm just so passionate about people feeling okay that they don't know everything and that following Jesus is not scoring 100% on some theology test. Following Jesus is trust and it's faith and it's mystery. It's this divine dance that we're invited into. Um, and it's so much more complicated than I thought it was when I knew everything when I was 16. <laughs> and I think that's beautiful. So I'd say go on the journey don't go on it alone is what I would say um, to somebody who's got doubts and questions I the questions that you're asking and the f- doubts that you're having I I doubt that you're the first one that's asked them and I think that's a beautiful thing too because it, it leads us into a grand conversation of the ages that other people have been there and had these same wrestling matches with God and
3: that's okay yeah I mean I love the question um, both because of the heart behind it I mean mm. this is like you said, it's a, it's a brave thing to admit, especially to a pastor, um, but I also love it because it's kind of the space that I tend to live in is, is the doubting and the questioning and the working it out. Um, we don't necessarily see this uh, commonly in the church in America, but if you go back to the ancient Jewish tradition, they wrestled with faith. I mean, that was a part of how young Jewish boys specifically would learn and would grow is they would talk back and forth with a rabbi and ask questions and, and try and figure out, hey, how does this actually play out in the real I heard, world? I heard this joke uh,
1: the other day it was uh, <laughs> from a, a Jewish guy who said, uh, you know, if there, if there are two rabbis in the room, there's three opinions on one verse, which <laughs> I love so much because they're so used That's to perfect. wrestling and yeah. wrestling with the text. I love that.
3: Well, and for me, I mean, for those who are wrestling with doubt, there's... There's somebody in the Old Testament I think you could cling to and somebody in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's Jacob who literally wrestles with God and is blessed because of it. And so if you're feeling like you're in a season of wrestling with God, I would like say, hey, don't panic. Right? It's not that the sky is falling. It may feel that way at times, uh, but you're not doing the wrong thing by wrestling with God. I think God actually blesses us when we wrestle faithfully because it means that it matters yeah, and we're trying to so figure good. it out. Uh, Then in the New Testament, there's Thomas. Old doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Old (laughs)
1: doubting Thomas. But
3: whether it's Thomas Thomas or whether you look at any of Jesus' disciples, they all unfollowed him at one point, right? The crucifixion, they were all out. They thought Jesus would do what people who are crucified do, and that's stay dead. And yet Jesus resurrects, comes to them, and eventually gives them the keys to the whole operation, And so they weren't disqualified because of their doubt either. Even Thomas, who is like, no, I literally have to see the wounds. I've got to like, I need more than Mm -hmm. just the secondhand report. So uh, yeah, pastorally, this question of doubt and deconstruction, I feel like they're really hot topics right now. And there's two extremes I would caution against. There's the extreme of panicking about doubt and being afraid of doubt. And I think that's really dangerous. You talked a lot about that, Joel. But on the other side, I do think that there can be this temptation, especially if you're just starting out with wrestling with doubt, to almost glorify doubt. Mm. Uh, I've definitely fallen into this before, where I can just shift into burn it all down mode. And it's just like, I get angry and sometimes express that anger by just like, forget it, none of it makes sense, this is all made up. And while it's okay to feel those emotions, and again, you can go to God with those emotions, Uh, I do think there's danger in just tearing it all down without exploring what you might rebuild in its place. And that's where having a loving community of people who will walk with you wherever you're at is so important to navigating this. And, um, man, I think it's very situational. I mean, there's some people who had come to me with doubts, and I'm just like, well, you're just young, right? No, I don't want to put down young people, but but sometimes it feels that way. Like, well, you're just working it out. Start shaving
1: first, then we'll come back. Exactly.
3: Uh, But then there's other times where someone would come to me and say, hey, I'm doubting my faith. And based on the the water they're swimming in and the conversation we're having, I might say, keep going, right? Keep picking at it. Keep doubting. Keep working through it. Uh, Because sometimes I think doubting or even deconstructing is actually a piece of discipleship or growing Mm -hmm. in our faith. And it's in picking things apart and thinking critically that we actually start to grow and learn more about what God is like and what it looks like to live like him. So I think doubt can actually be a component of faith that can be embraced. And uh, we don't need to be afraid of doubt. And we also don't have to burn the whole thing down, but it's possible to hold a historic faith and a changing world in tension and I think that's really the space that Jesus' followers and the church should be in all the time.
1: Yeah, I think the other unspoken thing, just to button on this question, um, is that we all know people that have walked away from faith because of doubts um, or are in the midst of doing it. Um, and I think it's just it should just be a clarion call for followers of Jesus, like, let's be kind to them. Let's be patient with them. Um, one of the apostles in the New Testament Um, Jude, uh, he wrote this in his New Testament letter, so it's a large book of one (laughs) chapter, but he said this in verse 22, he said, be merciful to those who doubt, and I think it'd be just a beautiful thing if our faith communities would look like mercy, would look like, uh, you know, undeserved favor and kindness to those who are in this season, instead of being defensive uh, towards them, and I think this would be a thing that would help us move forward and hopefully let people know. That they can belong before they believe, and that uh, Jesus loves them in the midst of their wavering faith.
0: Well, thank you for joining us today, Eric. We had a great time. We'll definitely have to have you back when we get more of these questions coming in.
3: You'll come back to the hot seat. We'll do it anytime. Anytime. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for having me. It's been fun.
0: Awesome. If you have other questions, you can email those to atypicaltalkpod at gmail.com. You can even send us topics to that uh, email address as well that you might want to have us talk about on the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Atypical Talk Pod and rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We hope that these conversations today have helped you think wider, love deeper, and partner with God to bring the up there down here in your everyday life. Thanks for tuning in.